0: Please be aware, the stories, theories, reenactments, and language in this podcast are of an adult nature and can be considered disturbing, frightening, and in some cases, offensive. Therefore, listener discretion is advised. You know what? There's adult content ahead, and you've been warned. relax, and prepare to be transported to today's dark enigma. And on today's dark enigma, well, we're putting all the anger and angst of the past year behind us and focusing on something that we can all agree upon. That's right, the upcoming holiday season. All right, with that said, we will still be playing our drinking game. And as you know, the drinking game is only for those that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. The choice of libation is yours, so choose your poison accordingly. Alright, now for the game part. How about every time I say Tradition, that's going to be a single shot, and every time I say Christmas, that will be a double shot. Alright, we've got the business end out of the way, and we can jump headfirst into today's Dark Enigma. And regardless of religion or what you choose to celebrate, it is one of the biggest holidays and with the roller coaster year we've had, well, it should be one of the biggest and best holidays yet. And why? Well, because we deserve it. So it's time to get out the tacky, ugly sweaters, pull out the decorations, preheat that oven, because we're going to be talking trees, food, and celebration today. Christmas. Ah. Yes, just saying the word brings visions of shining ornaments hanging on a beautiful evergreen tree, filling the room with a fresh scent of pine and warmth. We huddle close to family and friends, and we use this time to reflect and celebrate the passing of yet another year. Christmas is a newer holiday, but its origins are steeped in traditions from millennia past. In the Northern Hemisphere, the winter solstice has been viewed as a time for feasting, merrymaking, but also a time of sacrifice. All of our current traditions sprang from the celebration of the winter solstice of our Nordic forefathers, from the Yule log to the decorated tree and even singing of carols, which is also known as wassailing. Yeah, I know you really needed to know that. But it wasn't until the Roman Saturnalia, that week-long celebration that we talked about last week, where gift-giving became part of the festivities. And even though the Roman holiday was about giving presents, the Romans knew it was far more important to honor the agricultural gods. That's right, winter festivals were common in Greece, Rome, and into the British Isles. But when a barely new religion called Christianity popped up, the new hierarchy had trouble converting, well, the pagans. Cause, you know, the pagans are tough SOBs. Sorry to say it, they stick to their guns. As such, they didn't want to give out their old holidays and customs, which I can understand. Christian churches were built on old pagan worship sites, and pagan symbolism was incorporated into the Christian faith. Within a few centuries, the Christians had everybody worshiping a new holiday celebrated on December the 25th, known as Christmas. Christmas is both a religious holiday and a worldwide cultural and commercial phenomena. For two millennia, people around the world have been observing it with traditions and practices that are both religious and secular in nature. Christians celebrate Christmas Day as the anniversary of the birth of Jesus of Nazareth. Popular customs include exchanging gifts, decorating Christmas trees, attending church, sharing meals with family and friends, and, of course, waiting for Santa Claus to arrive. December 25th, Christmas Day, has been a federal holiday in the United States since 1870. But, where are the origins of Christmas anyway? You know what? I'm glad you asked. And even if you didn't ask, I'm going to tell you anyways, because that's how I roll. You guys should know that by now. The middle of winter has long been a time of celebration around the world. Centuries before the arrival of that man called Jesus, early Europeans celebrated light and birth in the darkest days of winter. Many peoples rejoiced during the winter solstice when the worst of the winter was behind them and they could look forward to longer days and extended hours of sunlight. In Scandinavia, the Norse celebrated Yule from December 21st, the winter solstice, into January. In recognition of the return of the sun, fathers and sons would bring home large logs which they would set on fire. The people would feast until the log would burn out, which could take as long as 12 days. The Norse believed that each spark from the fire represented a new pig or calf that would be born during the coming year. So the bigger the log, the better the summer, right? The end of December was a perfect time for celebration in most areas of Europe. At that time of year, most cattle were slaughtered so they would not have to be fed during the winter. So, for many, it was the only time of year when they had a supply of fresh meat. In addition, most wine and beer made during the year was finely fermented and, well, ready for drinking. Woohoo! After my own heart! Love it! In Germany, people honored the pagan god Odin during the midwinter holiday. Germans, well, were terrified of Odin, as they believed he made nocturnal flights through the sky to observe his people and to decide, well, who would prosper or perish. Because of his presence, most people chose to stay inside. Now, last week, we talked about Rome, where winters were not quite as harsh, as though in the far north, Saturnalia, that holiday in honor of Saturn, the god of agriculture, was celebrated, Beginning in the week leading up to the winter solstice and continuing for a full month, Saturnalia was a hedonistic time when food and drink were plentiful and the normal Roman social order was turned upside down. For a month, slaves would become masters. Peasants were in command of the city. Businesses and schools were closed so that everybody could enjoy the fun. And also around the time of the winter solstice, Romans observed juvenalia, a feast honoring the children of Rome. In addition, members of the upper classes often celebrated the birth of Mithra, the god of the unconquerable sun, on December the 25th. I know you guys were wondering why we picked December the 25th. Now you know. It was believed that Mithra, an infant god, was born of a rock. For some Romans, Mithra's birthday was the most sacred day of the year. Now, in the early years of Christianity, Easter was the main holiday. The birth of Jesus wasn't even celebrated. But, in the 4th century, church officials decided to institute the birth of Jesus as a holiday. Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't really give a big date for his birth, a fact that Puritans later pointed out in order to deny the legitimacy of the celebration. Although, some evidence suggests that his birth may have occurred in the spring, because why would shepherds be herding in the middle of the winter, right? But it was Pope Julius I that decided December the 25th. Now, it's commonly believed that the church chose this date in an effort to adopt and absorb the traditions of the pagan Saturnalia festival. First called the Feast of the Nativity, the custom spread to Egypt by 432, and up to England by the end of the 6th century. By the end of the 8th century, the celebration of Christmas had spread all the way to Scandinavia. Today, in the Greek and Russian Orthodox churches, Christmas is celebrated 13 days after the 25th, which is also referred to as the Epiphany, or Three Kings Day. This is the day that it's believed that the three wise men finally found Jesus in the manger, although, interestingly enough, if he was born in spring, they would have been a little bit early for that one. But, you know, we don't apply logic to religion, do we? Anyways, by holding Christmas at the same time as traditional winter solstice festivals, church leaders increased the chances that Christmas would be popularly embraced, but gave up the be- the ability to dictate how it was going to be celebrated. By the Middle Ages, Christianity had, for the most part, replaced pagan religion. On Christmas, believers attended church, then celebrated raucously in a drunken, carnival-like atmosphere, similar to, well, Mardi Gras, which, you know, why did we ever get rid of that? Each year, a beggar or student would be crowned the Lord of Misrule, and eager celebrants played the part of his subjects. The poor would go to the houses of the rich and demand their best food and drink. Ah, can we do that this year? I'm all for it. Anyways. If owners failed to comply, their visitors would most likely terrorize them with mischief. Ah, the egging of the houses, is that where that began? Christmas became the time of year when the upper classes could repay their real or imagined debt to society by entertaining less fortunate citizens, and you always wondered why they come knocking on your door around Christmas time for money, and now you know. In the early 17th century, a wave of religious reform changed the way Christmas was celebrated in Europe. When Oliver Cromwell and his Puritan forces took over England in 1645, they vowed to rid England of dissidents, and, as part of their effort, they canceled Christmas. By popular demand, Charles II was restored to the throne, and, with him, came the return of the popular holiday. Thank God for that, Right. The Pilgrims, English separatists that came to America in 1620, were even more orthodox in their Puritan beliefs than Cromwell. As a result, Christmas was not a holiday in early America. From 1659 to 1681, the celebration of Christmas was actually outlawed in Boston. Anyone exhibiting the Christmas spirit was fined five shillings. By contrast, in the Jamestown settlement, Captain John Smith reported that Christmas was enjoyed by all and passed without incident. After the American Revolution, English customs fell out of favor, including Christmas. In fact, Christmas wasn't declared a federal holiday until June 26th of 1870. That's right, after the Civil War, no less. It wasn't until the 19th century that Americans began to embrace Christmas, Americans reinvented Christmas and changed it from a raucous carnival holiday into a family-centered day of peace and nostalgia. But what about the 1800s piqued American interest in this holiday? Well, the early 19th century was a period of class conflict and turmoil. During this time, unemployment was really high and gang riding by the disenchanted classes often occurred during the Christmas season. In 1828, the New York City Council instituted the city's first police force in response to a Christmas riot. This catalyzed certain members of the upper classes to begin to change the way Christmas was celebrated in America. In 1819, best-selling author Washington Irving wrote The Sketchbook of Jeffrey Crayon Gentry, a series of stories about the celebration of Christmas in an English manor house. The sketches feature a squire who invited the peasants into his home for the holiday. In contrast to the problems faced in American society, the two groups mingled effortlessly. In Irving's mind, Christmas should be a peaceful, warm-hearted holiday, bringing groups together across lines of wealth or social status. In fact, Irving's fictitious celebrants enjoyed ancient customs, including the crowning of a Lord of Misrule. Irving's book, however, was not based on any holiday celebration he had ever attended. In fact, many historians say that Irving's account actually invented tradition by implying that it described the true customs of the season. Now, Around this time, English author Charles Dickens created that classic holiday tale, A Christmas Carol. The story's message, the importance of charity and goodwill towards all humankind, struck a powerful chord in the United States and in England, and showed members of Victorian society the benefits of celebrating the holiday. The family was also becoming less disciplined and more sensitive to the emotional needs of children during the early 1800s. Christmas provided families with a day when they could lavish attention and gifts on their children without appearing to spoil them. As Americans began to embrace Christmas as a perfect family holiday, old customs were unearthed. People looked toward recent immigrants and Catholic and Episcopalian churches to see how the day should be celebrated. In the next hundred years, Americans built a Christmas tradition all their own that included pieces of many other customs, including decorating trees, sending holiday cards, and gift-giving. Although most families quickly brought into the idea that they were celebrating Christmas how it had been done for centuries, Americans had really reinvented a holiday to fill the cultural needs of a growing nation. And since we're talking about the origins of Christmas, and well, I have to admit, this time of year always makes me feel a little bit nostalgic as I reflect back and think about how all of our traditions came to be. So, I found a few of my favorite stories from when I was growing up, and I'm going to share them with you now. The first is going to be called The Battle of the Oak King and the Holly King. Now, this is from Celtic tradition. We get a pair of ancient pagan characters who fight twice a year, once on Midsummer, which is roughly June the 21st, and again on the Winter Solstice, which is roughly December the 21st. These spirits of the characters come from two of the most sacred trees for the druids, the holly and the oak. The oak king is the lord over the waxing half of the year. He governs the earth from December to June. And the holly king is the lord over the waning half of the year and governs the earth from June to December. And the two, they do battle on the winter solstice where the oak king kills the holly king at Yule and takes his place. The Oak King then reigns until Lithia, which is midsummer, when the two do battle again. Which, you know, nobody brings up the fact that, you know, they kill each other and how do they fight again once one is dead. But it's a story, so get over it. It's the Holly King who wins in June and reigns until Yule, the winter solstice in December. And it goes round and round and it starts all over again. Most of us won't know the story, but we are very familiar with the two kings, The Holly King wears red and bears holly leaves and berries in his hat. He drives a team of eight deer, or reindeer, which are highly sacred to the Celtic gods. The number eight represents the eight sabbats of the solar calendar. In short, he is the modern-day Santa Claus. His counterpart, the Oak King, is the new, fresh, and young child god that beckons Mother Nature to renew herself and he brings the warm rays of the sun back. That's right, he is the modern day baby New Year. Holly and Mistletoe are traditional to the Yule season and they represent the battle that takes place between these two kings. The oak king, as a symbol of birth, love, procreation, and renewal, holds mistletoe sacred, hence the kissing under the mistletoe tradition. Mistletoe grows high in the branches of the oak tree, and that it's common this time of year illustrates that although the oak and holly kings are mortal enemies, twice a year they are also two sides of a whole. One cannot exist without the other, and each respects the other despite their combative relationship. And since we've talked about the Yule season, let's talk about the very first Yule. The story of the first Yule is again of Celtic origin, and it is a truly beautiful story. It tells the story of a beautiful young woman, the first mother, who lives on a blue and green island. She has friends in the fairies, trees, flowers, and animals, but longs to have a person much like herself. Every month she gives birth when the moon is hiding. The first six months are daughters with dark cyan and eyes, and the last six are fair-skinned daughters. On the seventh moon of every year, the first mother gave birth to a magical sacred oak. As the story progresses, the daughters have daughters of their own, and the island becomes plentiful until one winter night, one one, one of the daughters gives birth to a boy. It was on the longest, coldest night of the year so all the daughters and animals were huddled for warmth, but no matter what they did, the baby boy could not get warm. It is only when the sacred oak tree sacrifices itself for firewood that the baby finally warms. After that, every year the island people bring a special tree to the center of the island on the longest, coldest, darkest night of winter and they honor the tree with special ornaments and fairy dust. They pick one very special branch or log and sing their favorite songs while decorating it, and this log becomes a present where all the children of the island would come and hear the story of the gift of the first oak tree. And this is how the Yule Log came into being. So whenever you light a candle or build a fire, remember the story of the first mother and the sacred first oak's sacrifice. And no matter how cold and dark it seems, the sun will always be reborn and bring us warmth and light again. All right, and now for the last story on this cold winter's night, which, you know, is technically for Christmas, but it's Tuesday, so, you know, listen to it now and then maybe again on Friday when it's Christmas. Anyways, the last song, the last story, I'm sorry, is the first song. A long time ago, when the earth and the sun made the first beings, it was springtime, and the sun shone warm and bright from high above. Mother Earth was a proud mother, and she held and fed all the plants, animals, and people with tenderness and love. It was a time of great joy and delight, and the children of the Earth grew strong throughout the summertime. Then autumn came, and Mother Earth began to sleep longer every day. She grew tired and pale, and could no longer feed her children or even had the strength to make new life. High above, the sun grew more distant and took longer to return every morning, and the nights grew longer and cold winds blew where none had blown before. One day, Mother Earth went to sleep. She wrapped herself in a blanket of snow and rested her head on pillows of dried leaves. Her children tried to wake her, but nothing would rouse her from her slumber. In the sky, father sun was nowhere to be seen, and the children grew fearful. This was the longest night they had ever known, and in their despair they cried out, "What shall become of us? Earth mother sleeps, father sun is so far away that we can barely see him in the sky. What shall we do?" The children brought their question and fears to the moon, sister of the sun. She closed her eyes and searched herself for an answer. She opened her eyes and said, When hope is lost, the best way to get it back is with a song. Climb the tallest trees, the biggest hills, and the mountains, and yule, a song to reach the sun. Yule being a word that derives from the oldest languages and is related to words like yell or yodel and means to call out in song. The first children had never heard a song, so they asked the moon's advice. The moon responded, take the best of what you have, the best of what you are, take what you love, take what you cherish most, take your joys, your dreams, your fondest hopes, and weave them all together in a sound. And they did. They stood in all the places that would bring them closest to the sun, and let their voices ring out to make a bridge of song across the sky to reach the distant sun. The sun heard the music and turned. He wrapped himself in all his light and warmth and sped to where the singing voices called. As he drew near, the sleeping Mother Earth did stir and dreamed a dream of spring. And ever since, that time of year has been called Yule in honor of the song. The first song did not end. It held such power and allure that the first beings kept singing it throughout. And it has continued ever since until this very day. At times, the song is soft and scarcely can be heard above the clatter of our own lives, but when Yule comes, it rises and swells in memory of that night when the sun heard and light and life returned. We sing our thanks to those who went before and sing our fondest wish to those who will come after. We bask in the returning light of hope and joy and welcome Yule. All right. I'm going to end today's show with a few fun facts about Christmas. Well, which will help us face the subdued celebrations that we're in for for this year and the hopeful faces that will light up seeing all those bright and beautiful packages that you bring home. Thank you, Amazon, because I love getting a delivery. I've got two more before Friday, so send me presents. <laughs> all right. Every year, 30 to 35 million real Christmas trees are sold in the United States alone. There are 21,000 Christmas tree growers in the United States, and trees usually grow for about 15 years before they are sold. So think about it. You have an unruly teenager that you're bringing home to, to decorate. Today, in the Greek and Russian Orthodox churches, Christmas is celebrated 13 days after the 25th, which is referred to as the Epiphany or Three Kings Day. This is the day that they believe that the three wise men finally found Jesus in the manger, which he was born in the springtime, so it makes no sense. I bring that up again. In the Middle Ages, Christmas celebrations were rowdy and raucous, a lot of them like today's Mardi Gras, so let's bring that one back. From 1659 to 1681, the celebrations of Christmas was outlawed in Boston, and lawbreakers were fined five shillings. I think we might bring that one back too, right? Christmas was finally declared a federal holiday in the United States on June the 26th of 1870. The first eggnog made in the United States was consumed in Captain John Smith's 1607 Jamestown Settlement. Thank you, John Smith, for that crappy, crappy drink. Why couldn't it have been, you know, Captain Morgan's? That would have been better. Poinsettia plants are named after Joel R. Poinsett, an American minister to Mexico who brought the lovely red and green plant from Mexico to America in 1828. Thank you, our Latin cousins, for that lovely poinsettia plant. The Salvation Army has been sending Santa Claus-clad donation collectors into the streets since the 1890s, so when you hear the ringing of the bell, put a couple of pennies in the jar, people. Rudolph, the most famous reindeer of all, was actually the product of Robert L. May's imagination in 1939. I know, right? The copywriter wrote a poem about the reindeer to help lure customers into the Montgomery Ward department store. That's right, he was a commercial. And Construction workers started the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree tradition way back in 1931. So thank you for that, construction workers. All right, my lovelies, we've come to the end of our episode. And since Friday is Christmas, I will say my greetings now. I wish you all the very, very most Festivus Festivus, the happiest Saturnalia, OI, and Happy Christmas, Merry Kwanzaa whatever you celebrate. I hope you have a wonderful holiday season. I hope you have so much to eat that you have to roll off the couch. Enjoy the time off if you're taking some time off, and if you're not, take some time off. You deserve it, my darlings. The end of the episode. I thank you for joining us today. Merry Christmas. I hope you'll take time to reach out to me and share your thoughts on what you think. You can always reach me and the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And if you have suggestions for a future show or you just want to send me some holiday cheer, drop me a line because I do reply to every single email. And on that note, Santa's almost here, and that's all the time we have for you today. So I thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio, and don't forget to tune in next time, my darlings. Merry Christmas. See you, my heathens. I love you. Mwah, 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 mwah. We don't sugarcoat shit. Uh-oh. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.